the strength of our profession, the strength of our association is important and it matters. It goes to the relationships and the communication and the ability to create something with like-minded people. You're listening to Your Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast-track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. This week, Debbie Gross, Certified Financial Planner, joins our host, Alexandria Davis, to share her story and explore a mindset for career and succession planning success. Debbie is a Chief Operating Officer of Lake Tahoe Wealth Management, and she's a dynamic woman in the world of financial planning. Debbie is passionate about mentorship and has often led the charge when it comes to guiding new planners through successful careers. In this episode, Debbie shares her experience with succession planning and how new planners can make organic relationships an important part of their career success. Up next, you'll discover just how much of business succession planning comes with time from building relationships with other planners. When you think about the work of financial planners, do you think of words like passion, purpose, and impact? If not, then something just isn't right. I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade, and we believe that empowering people to live their best lives is a noble calling. The independent REAs who work with us use their passion to help transform client lives, communities, and their own futures. Want to learn more about how we can support you in helping your clients reach their financial goals? Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. So Debbie, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I am extremely excited to have you on and to just be sharing your story and your experience with us today. Thank you, Alexandria. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to just get right into it because I know your very interesting story myself, but I want the listeners to kind of get a little bit more of a backstory about who is Debbie and maybe share a little bit about your transition from a different career to the financial planning profession. Sure. So um, I'll start at uh, at kind of at the very beginning, which was uh, when I graduated from high school and I really didn't have a plan. I hadn't prepared to go to college. Um, And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And all I knew is that I didn't want to join the real world yet. So college seemed to be the best option. Um, I bounced around with majors, went from marketing to um, finance, really didn't like the sales environment of finance. And so quickly switched to accounting because I liked the numbers and the analysis there. Um, I graduated from Sac State, uh, started working in local government. and as a part-time accounts payable clerk, one thing led to another. Within a couple of years, I was the assistant finance director for that city. And I quickly realized that that was not going to be my career. And I needed to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up and what I really wanted to be. And at the time, I was making good money. I had great benefits. And I thought, ah, I'll figure it out later. So life unfolded. A few years went by. I got married. I had my first child. I um, then had my uh, was pregnant with my second, and I was offered the position of um, being the finance director. And I knew at that point I needed to figure out what I was going to do, but I, I certainly didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to kind of figure it out while I go on maternity leave. And just before I went to maternity leave, I was offered um, that position as the finance director. I said, no, thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. 
And so I got a new boss while I was away on maternity leave. And when I came back, it was real clear that one of us needed to go. It just, it wasn't going to work out. So I had proper (laughs) and adequate motivation to figure out what I really wanted to do. And as I started um, figuring that out, somebody had said, hey, Debbie, you should think about becoming a CFP, a certified financial planner. And I was like, a what? And um, they said, yeah, it's somebody who helps people with their personal finances and, and figure out stuff. And I think you'd be real great at it. You should take a look. So, of course, I went home and I, I Googled the term. I figured out, you know, what does a, a certified financial planner do? And I decided that is exactly what I want to do. I fell in love with um, the notion of just helping people with their uh, finances or personal finance uh, at the city. I ran the day-to-day operations of the finance department, which included the payroll department. So I helped people with questions about the 457 and about the uh, defined benefit plan, which here in California, we have CalPERS. And so I was very familiar with how that worked. Um, You know, kind of taking a look at the Flex 125 plan, some of the other tax advantaged um, options. And so all of that just, you know, felt very comfortable. I really, really enjoyed learning about those, how to be efficient, you know, how to make the most of it. So when I discovered this um, financial planning uh, profession, I was like, well, I feel like I've kind of been doing that for a lot um, of the time. And um, so I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I uh, separated from the city of Woodland, went back to school, earned the certificate in personal financial planning, Um, And then I started going to my local FPA chapter meetings. And that's where I met my now uh, retired partner, uh, Jim Johnson. And he came up to me, made me feel very welcome. Um, We got to talking. One thing led to another. And I was offered an internship uh, to, to work with him at Lighthouse Financial Planning. I did that for 200 hours. At the end of that, he offered me uh, a part-time position. The only problem was that I lived about 60 miles from where his office was. So we figured out how to work around that. I think we were very early adopters of of telecommuting and doing virtual work. And one thing led to another. In 2009, I became his um, partner. Uh, I bought into the practice. And in 2014, I purchased the rest of the practice from him. So that was a very fascinating story, Debbie, how you kind of changed from one career, not really knowing where to go, and then finding financial planning, uh, sounds like by Googling it. Um, A little backstory for myself, I actually found out about financial planning because I read a newspaper article that Debbie published. And so that was how I entered into the profession. And it's always very unique to see how people get introduced into the profession. And it's oftentimes that little nudge that you get from the internet, a newspaper, or just someone introducing you and that exposure. One thing I'd like- Alexandria, I didn't, I did never know that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I didn't know that, 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 that just, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You were like the first person I was like, wow. And when I actually got to meet you in person, I was like, this is the person I read the article from. (laughs) So it was just a really good, it was a good moment. And that's why I, so I, I love that I get to interview you now and really let other people find out and meet you too. Awesome. That's awesome. So one thing that I kind of want to take us back to was you started at Lighthouse um, financial with Jim Johnson, and you were there for a couple years. 
what kind of made you first, I guess, think of like, maybe I want to be a partner. I know a lot of people get into the profession and they go through different, let's say, career paths, but not always are people interested in the partnership route. What was it that maybe turned your gears of like even started to be interested in that or having um, that motivation to go, yeah, I can do that too? I think that I just didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I certainly at that point um, didn't understand the breadth of uh, skills and what it takes to uh, run a business and be mindful of all the things you need to be mindful of to have an independent um, uh, advisory firm. But that said, um, I, I knew I just I had confidence that you know I could figure it out. And um, what was most appealing to me at that time was uh, the journey that. Uh, led me to learning about the uh, financial planning world, you know, the CFP certification. Um, It it kind of left me with like, well, why didn't I know about that profession right out of, you know, in in high school? Why didn't I know that was a career possibility? And I was a little bit irritated that I had to discover it by, you know, just tripping into it. And I thought that doesn't, that doesn't serve the public. Well, it certainly doesn't serve the profession well. And so I had this notion that I wanted to make a contribution that I wanted to do something to help the profession. And I wanted to do something more than just help my clients. And to me that equated to being more in charge of my career and what I was going to do in the best way in my assessment. Uh, to to do that was to have my own firm that I could make decisions and go in a direction that I thought would be helpful um, towards accomplishing that. So that that was my primary drive. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of people have kind of toggled with this idea of um, how do I help the masses? And it's kind of started this um, wave of more people wanting to get in and start their own firm so that way they can help more of the masses. And one of the things that kind of pop in my head um, with that process is sometimes people go, well, how do I do that? Right. And one of the things is, is if you're working at a firm like you were, of how do you maybe transition a partner that is working at the firm to go, hey, let Let's try something new or let's maybe divert a little bit to the current structure of how we get clients or who we help. What would you say that you and your partner kind of like worked out to kind of decide, yeah, let's kind of change the, I guess, the trajectory of the firm so that you could start helping the masses by making you more of a partner, if that makes sense? Yeah, that that actually that makes a lot of sense. And actually, that was... It was so, um, and it and it is the thing that made me want to be an owner. And and so, um, that thing, what it was, uh, when I first started working at Lighthouse Financial Planning, um, I early on I went to uh, the owner Jim Johnson and said, "Hey Jim, I really like what I do, and I love the work we do for our clients. And no offense, but they're all older people and they're retired." And they've accumulated their wealth and we're helping them manage and not outlive it. But, but you know, at the time I was in my 30s 
And I said, you know, none of my friends, I couldn't even be a client of this firm. Um, you know, we're a, a field, it was a fee only firm. And so we charge for assets under management and, uh, you know, it was the 1% for, you know, with a minimum and, and I wouldn't have been eligible for a client. None of my friends at the time would have been um, eligible to be clients. And I just saw that as a problem. And I went to Jim and I said, Hey, you know, th- there, there's a problem because I need planning. My friends all need planning. The people that I went to school with, they all need planning. And there's no way for us to work with them right now. And he said, yep, you're right, Debbie, go figure it out and come back to me. (laughs) And so, you know, he was was great because he just, he, he saw the problem and he said, you know, he just gave me the the freedom to kind of figure it out. And what I did was I went back and I kind of, I developed what we have is it's called the wealth accumulator program. I think it was one of the earliest subscription based programs where, you know, I did the math and I did all the analysis, you know, what are the typical things I need and my friends need, um, you know, 401k allocation, you know, should we buy a house? Should we not? Do we have any kind of student loan kind of stuff? What's our cash flow look like? You know, something about education planning. And I kind of put it together in a little tidy package and um, figured out, you know, the minimum fee. And, you know, if we charged 125 a month for that service that, you know, there was, it was doable. And that, um, you know, that's something I would have paid, right? You know, I kind of likened it to a gym membership or, you know, housekeeper. I I know those analogies have all been made, you know, um, all over the place in our our profession now. But but that, uh, you know, Jim allowed me to do that. And I felt real good about that. And it was that little taste of making that contribution to be able to help uh, a segment that at the time was woefully underserved. It just really gave me that taste for... um, having the creativity and, and the authority to create and implement something like that. It sounds like to help not only um, with the process of you becoming a partner, but you were able to basically build out this structure, Wealth Accumulator, to help you build clients of your own and really kind of build that confidence in you being a, a newer planner and being able to help the masses while still Jim kept his clients. And not only was it like, this is great, but it was profitable for the business. Like what firm owner or partner wouldn't be like, yeah, let's do this. You know, I always am kind of more, um, I guess, surprised because it's, it's maybe harder for a, a newer or younger planner to maybe come up with that, a model like that to maybe even pitch it to a partner but I definitely see that as a way of people engaging in the business succession process. How would you say that it, how, or maybe some of the difficulties with doing that of totally starting a new process and system and um, model for a partner who's maybe been doing it for a really long time? Yeah, Alexandra, you're exactly right. It, uh, you know, just to touch on, on your um, observation that it did give me a way to work with people that I felt comfortable with. You relate to people maybe a little bit better when they're your age or your age group than it is to relate to somebody who's in an older or even younger generation. And so, yeah, the ability to work with my age group was super helpful in building my confidence, not only um, because I was more comfortable with those people, but I was much more familiar with the issues, right? You know, with the planning issues there, which then gave me confidence 
to just really develop my skills above and beyond outside of things that I was less, um, less comfortable with. And so, um, I was super fortunate in that Jim was very open. He, um, he was receptive. He, I felt like he listened to me when anytime I, you know, would express some frustration about the way things were in the, you know, whether it be with the profession, you know, like with the wealth accumulator, um, plan or within the company, you know, Hey, this process isn't working right. And here's how it feels for me. And maybe we could do something to make it a little bit better. Or here's where I see the problem um, is, can we address this? So, you know, I felt I always, I always approached him with, Hey, there's a problem. Here's how I see it. And here's what I think might help. So um, I think um, he appreciated, you know, that I, not only came to him with a problem, but tried to offer a solution, whether that was the solution that ended up being implemented or not, that's, you know, different, but at least there was some thought about how to, how to make it better. And, um, so that I was, I was fortunate in that. And I think that, you know, for people, for, for owners now, um, that's real important, right? Um, for, for, for current owners to be receptive to feedback from new eyes in the business or, you know, new um, team members coming to work for you to be open and uh, receptive. Now, it's very likely in, in a lot of situations, things are set up the way they are for good reason. Um, and not everything's going to be changed. Certainly, a lot of things didn't change when I had some um, some information to provide to uh, to Jim at that time. You know, a lot of things stayed as they were, and it was for good reason. And in hindsight, as I learned more, especially in the realm of uh, compliance and all the rules that we are subject to, sometimes you you can't make changes for the sake of efficiency and um, ease because you have to dot I's and cross T's. And that's just the way that that has to to go. So I want to kind of fast forward a little bit um, to talk about that transition with Jim. Was it a time where it's like it happened over years? Was he ready to retire? So it was just a quick like, all right, I'm taking over on X date. Like, how did that look from your perspective of being able to switch on to uh, partner level and maybe some of the maybe hiccups that came up with doing that as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And it's, it's very nuanced. Um, So it wasn't overnight. Uh, I've, I first became a partner in Lighthouse Financial Planning in 2009. And it was at the end of 2014 that I became the sole owner. So that was about a five year period. And at the beginning, Jim and I had a lot of conversation about uh, ownership, how the ownership would transfer. We had initially talked about, you know, 10% a year for 10 years. Um, And that didn't, it didn't necessarily go down that way. So we had to adjust due to a lot of things that were going on, just life. I mean, you know, we were a a small RIA and, um, you know, you have the best of intentions of, you know, okay, one tenth, you know, we're going to sell 
you know, transfer ownership, one-tenth this year. There's a lot that goes into that in terms of the accounting, the legal, um, the paperwork. And sometimes, you know, we'd be off to a great start for the year. Next thing you know, it's already November, the end of November, and we hadn't done any of the paperwork. So we just kept an open dialogue about how that transfer would happen. And we ended up doing it in three major chunks. Um, and I think that worked out well for, for both of us. Uh, that, that's the, you know, the business or the legal side. As far as with the clients, though, right from the get-go, uh, you know, Jim was great about telling the clients, you know, hey, you know, we do a lot of work uh, for you. That's a lot around retirement planning and um, being able to retire someday. Well, I'm also doing my retirement planning and Debbie has become a partner. Um, you know, she's much younger, obviously, there were 20 years between us in age. And he would point out that that I was his his succession um, plan. And it just gradually and naturally happened that when that conversation happened with clients, that um, I started to become more involved in the client meetings. And I started to become more involved in um, in the communication uh, to the clients. At the time we were doing quarterly reports and we'd have a quarterly address and sometimes I'd write it. Uh, Jim would mostly write it and then we would both sign it. So that process started about five years before the actual transfer happened. And there was just a lot of conversation. Uh, Jim and I would have a lot of conversation about uh, what was working, what wasn't working well. We had a really good um, uh, line of communication at the at the heart of it. He was a wonderful mentor. He was very open with me. Of course, you know, it wasn't all um, roses and sunshine. We we certainly did have our moments where we got into a spirited debate or had a you know a, a lively discussion about things. But you know, at, at the at the base of our uh, you know professional relationship was a friendship and um, the ability to uh, communicate and at the very foundation was doing the right thing for the clients and keeping them in the forefront and how they would respond and how they would feel and how much change was too much and how much was too quick. Um, those, those kinds of uh, kind of foundation cornerstones at the heart of what we were trying to do really kept us grounded and kept us from getting sideways when we could have easily gotten off track. What I really liked about what you said just now was that you and Jim had the friendship part. And it, it's so weird to think about this, but it's like we're all humans and we're going through, you know, we work in this profession and people go through business succession. And I think people forget that part sometimes that it's like very business, uh, a business thought process rather than like, hey, you know, this person is retiring, this person is purchasing a business. And after that, it's like, hey, we still have a relationship here. We can still be friends and be very cordial and share how we feel about the process and still have discussion, open discussion about it. Um, yes, there's that legal side and how it should work, but it's still that part of us that we can really still be very open about the process. One thing you pointed out is that it wasn't all roses and sunshine. And that's one thing that I don't think gets discussed too often in the business succession process. Um, it what would you say is something that um, 
would be like a, hey, I, I wish we would have done something a little differently to help with the process or something that could have helped as a resource to maybe make it a little bit more smoother for people who are out there transitioning now, but also to help you in your future transitions? I think I would answer it this way and say that more information is better and hindsight provides a much clearer um, view on how things could have been structured, you know, maybe from a tax perspective or this provision about clients sticking around could have been tweaked um, a little bit. Um, so, so, you know, the, the technicalities of the, of the transition, those would have all been nice to just be more efficient, right? You know, maybe that's the financial planner in me and looking back and saying, oh, we weren't very efficient in the tax arena because of this, that, or the other thing. And it would have been more efficient for him, more efficient for me, and we could have done something different. Um, so, so those are really the only things that I would suggest that, um, you know, th- that I would have done differently. As far as, uh, you know, the friendship, you know, Alexandria, I was thinking about, you know, this topic um, and, and I'm, you know, the purchase of Lighthouse Financial Planning. I mean, look, we were a small RIA and, um, you know, we had about 50 million of um, assets under management. That's public information. You could find that on the ADV. So I'm not saying anything um, that probably will need to be edited out. But anyways, um, you know, we're a small RIA and it was, you know, between two people, who um, who had their values and their professional um, goals aligned. So we were able to go back and touch base on that. And it helped us, right? I wouldn't have changed anything about uh, the, the transition um, from, you know, with the clients or how Jim and I navigated the buying and the selling and the terms of our agreement. There's, there's nothing that I would have changed so Debbie, once Lighthouse, once you completed that purchase of Lighthouse in 2014, um, I know that you merged with your, the current firm that you are now a part of called Lake Tahoe Wealth Management. Since you had that experience of going through that first business succession process, how did that kind of help you um, with the next transition that you took the business with? When Jim and I finished the uh, agreement for me to buy Lighthouse, I was in the place to figure out, okay, what's next? What am I going to do? Jim's going to retire. He and I split the work. We had one other person who worked here with us, but there was no way the two of us at that time were going to be able to do the work of the three of us that, that the three of us had been doing. So I did some, um, some analysis, some reflection. I asked around a lot. I had a lot of conversation about, and, and, and I, as I saw it, I had one of two ways to proceed. One way was to hire somebody to replace Jim's contribution to the operation um, by hiring somebody. And therefore I then have two employees and um, be trying to run uh, the business uh, in that capacity by myself as a solo owner, or I uh, had my colleagues to look around and see if any of them would be um, ideal candidates to, to partner with. And 
maybe this is overly simplistic and maybe this isn't the right way to look at planning and what it takes to be a, a you know a good planner but it's the way that I look at it and that is that um, you know you kind of have two sides uh, or you know two two disciplines one being the financial planning uh, the other being the investment and asset management um, and that likely was born from how Jim and I split our roles, right? And so um, at Lighthouse, Jim is the one who did the day-to-day operation of the portfolios and did the you know, due diligence and interacted with the custodians. He would do the initial research on investments and how we were gonna implement our investment philosophy while I was focused on looking at everything else, right? The, the tax returns, the cash flow, the risk management, um, employee benefits and how how to put a plan together and then build in the investment management and marry those two um, items together. And so when I looked at that, I spent some time deciding, do I want to be a planner or do I want to be more involved in the investment and the investment manager or can I do both? And I quickly knew that I couldn't do both um, or I couldn't. I Let me say it this way. I knew that I could do both. Um, but I couldn't excel at both at the same time. And so I, uh, decided I I knew that the planning is what I love most and I'm much more interested and curious about the bigger picture and the, in the, in the plan entirely than I am about focusing on portfolios and the latest research in this asset class or portfolio construction and, um, you know, why modern portfolios alive or why it's dead. And, you know, I, I'm interested in those kinds of things, but that's not the sole focus of, of what I want to be doing. And so with that, I looked around at, um, at uh, colleagues I'd worked with and who might be a good um, fit for me. I'd been a part of a study group since the time I'd attended FPA residency. And um, if people listening are familiar with FPA residency, then you know what a special experience that is and and how helpful that can be, especially um, as a brand new planner. Anybody who's not familiar with FPA residency is definitely worth checking out and considering, especially if you're within the first three years of, um, of earning your CFP designation. But um, my, my, my um, group at FPA residency, we had formed uh, a study group and we spent a lot of time exploring topics and information. And you could see who, who was drawn more to investments and who was drawn more to, um, to planning. You got to learn a lot about people's personalities. And, um, and so through that, one of my study group members, he had just formed a, an RIA, a small RIA himself. Uh, Richard D is his name, and um, he was in the process of putting together um, uh, advisors who didn't have uh, a home to practice, right? So, so the notion was he had built Lake Tahoe Wealth Management so that um, he that's where he practiced, but then he also had a platform that advisors who wanted to do planning could focus on their clients and business development could come be a part, be an, uh, an investment um, advisor representative and IAR of that platform. Um, he would manage the investments and the compliance 
in the day-to-day operations of the um, of the firm. And that was real attractive to me because he was interested in doing the investment management. He was really very, um, very good at that. That uh, was something that he um, excelled at. And it just seemed like it was a natural fit. I was also interested in um, the platform of being able to help other advisors um, find a place where they could come and practice, right? And, you know, there's a revenue sharing. So so Richard and I started exploring that. And next thing you know, we decided, you know, we had such a nice complement of skills that it would really make sense for us to join forces. And that's how we ended up um, coming together. One thing that I am thinking of through this whole process is basically like, how did the clients take it once you merged with another company? And how did that transition look like for clients? The communication was, I'm still here doing all your planning. Jim has retired. Now we have, um, you know, this merger, another firm that has even more in-depth experience is going to bring more knowledge to the table simply because, you know, they're fresher out of school. We now have a CFA on um, on staff and somebody who's able to you know further the further enhance and enrich the services that we're providing and so here's why this is a good thing for you as a client of this now merged firm and so that was the message and I absolutely I, you know that was the the motivating factor for me in the decision making um, to to merge with Lake Tahoe Wealth Management I knew there was no um, no way that I was going to be able to offer the same level of expertise and um, depth of knowledge to my clients if I'd been on my own than I am now as a, as a merged entity with Lake Tahoe Wealth Management. And so that just was the essence of where my communications came from. And so when you believe that, when you know that in your soul to be true, it's an easy, it's an easy thing to communicate. And, and help clients understand why you're making the decisions and the choices that you're making. Before we wrap up our podcast today, I wanted to dive into a topic that I believe the profession is constantly working to improve. That's women in the financial planning profession, but more specifically for women owners of financial planning firms. What do you think the profession or other women firm owners could be doing to engage women to think more into the future about business succession or maybe taking ownership into their own hands? I think, Alexandria, that's a really important question. And it um, is certainly a robust conversation. Uh, A lot of people have thoughts and opinions about what we should be doing for the future of the profession. And, um, you know, certainly um, there's the there's 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 a number of initiatives um, that the Financial Planning Association is doing to make more resources available for um, succession planning and ownership and all that's involved. And I think those are wonderful um, initiatives. There's a, a tremendous amount of resources, and I think that needs to continue. Um, and in addition to that, as um, as the profession continues to march forward, I think it's going to be really important to continue to um, 
to engage uh, newer planners and and welcome everybody. I was just having a conversation this morning about diversity and inclusion, and oftentimes we think about um, you know that in terms of either gender or race, but it's so much more granular than that. And I think that economics. Um, is a, is another huge area of you know culture and how people interact. Um, I I see it myself uh, when I you know I, I live in Northern California near Sacramento and um, when I go to over to the Bay Area for example I can just see the differences um, in in the culture in you know Northern California and over in the Bay Area and how it's different and it's unique and and I love experiencing that and I guess my point for for referencing all of that is that there are there's a culture of that you have to kind of get used to when it comes to being a business owner and that is you know you have to think about um, legalities you have to think about a, a lot more about compliance you have to think about um, you know the direction the long-term planning the strategic planning and that's a whole mindset and when you're around people who are business owners then you start to feel that right you know it's kind of I would almost you know say it's somewhat of a little mini culture and and if if you're uncomfortable in that space initially well okay that's fine um, you know, find a mentor who's been down that road, somebody who uh, has gone through the process. I know I have used mentors my whole career as being a planner, um, both formally and informally, and, um, you know, just really learned from the people who have that experience and who are familiar with the ways. And, and you know, you're going to, you're going to make mistakes or you're going to have little hiccups, but the the um, the goal would be to to minimize the impact of those, right? You know, having mentors, they can help you from making the really big, really costly, really detrimental mistakes um, because you're still going to make them. But I think that that is the thing that is going to be important going forward is continuing to have the the openness, the willingness to help people, and um, you, you know, from people who are owners now, and who are going through the thought process of, well, what does my succession look like, and and how do I bring somebody on, or do I sell to a big, um, you know, an asset gathering type platform, and and there's pros and cons to each way that you want to um, to proceed. And, and I just think that the more people um, are willing to open up, mentor somebody or be mentored, that's that's going to um, that's going to be hugely helpful for anybody who wants to um, consider being an owner or uh, progressing in in their uh, career. Even I feel like in my own career path, it's like if the mentorship wasn't there, you wouldn't be exposed to the things you aren't you know aware of and oftentimes it's kind of maybe that mentor coming in and even probing you and asking you questions to make you even think about ownership that may not even have crossed your mind until someone had you know explored that with you um, but I think sometimes especially for women we kind of have these biases or we have these barriers we're crossing um, as we navigate through the profession we're 
we don't maybe even get to that level yet where we go, oh yeah, ownership's even on the table. Sometimes it's like, I want to make sure I do everything in my role currently right before I even think of, oh yeah, okay, I could, I could run this place, you know? And so that's what always kind of pops in my head for women um, as we kind of navigate at least this profession that's male, male dominated. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, on that, you know, kind of what's coming up for me when, when you'd mentioned that Alexandria is I would agree that not being overly general, but at the risk of being overly general, perhaps, you know, we're a little, women tend to be a little more cautious, a little more thoughtful, not as um, aggressive, just running through something and, you know, figuring it out, um, uh, you know, in the moment that you need to. And, and perhaps that's, holding us back. Right. And so as women, I think we need to just have the confidence, right. To put our best foot forward and to know that, you know what, I I don't have to have it all figured out. What I need to do is make sure I'm paying attention and that as things pop up and that I do have resources and I do have mentors that I can reach out to. And so Um, I absolutely agree with what you just said, Alexandria, and I think that it's going to be equally important, you know, incumbent on women ourselves to to not hold our own selves back. Right. To to have that confidence to go forward. And I think having a strong network, be it mentors, be it your study group, be it colleagues that you just work really well with. Um, and you know, you can pick them up, pick up the phone and call them with a question at any time. I, I think that's that's critical. The mentorship and especially the, sh- the study group. Yes. I'm a huge component of the study group, especially for, for women in this profession. That is what's going to make a, a big wave of change, I feel like, to help women kind of progress um, further through the profession. Before we kind of close out here, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on your thoughts since you we've really kind of focused on your experience through this business succession planning process and with your transition and merger and how um, the effects happen on your clients and yourself personally. But now that you're on the other end of the stick here, I'd say for business succession, and you are the owner, what planning have you done or uh, plan to do in the future to kind of help with your business succession when you come to that next step in your career? I look at it much like any plan that I'm doing. The immediate path forward for this longer term goal of getting uh, a successor or perhaps selling the practice is not immediately clear, but I know it's out there and I know there's some work that I need to be doing in terms of educating myself, being prepared to make a decision when I get there. But as far as the concrete steps and how that's going to unfold and what that looks like, I got no clue. Um, You know, I have, I have two partners. We have a lot of conversation about how long each one of us wants to work and it's not clear for them either. So, um, I'd go back to uh, what I was talking about when it came time to purchase the firm and move forward, Um, being present, doing the homework, having the conversations, reaching out to the mentors and the people that have done this before me to, to learn from them and take their wisdom and experience to include that in my thinking. And um, unfortunately It feels a little uncomfortable to be sitting in 
the un, the not knowing and not having a plan because we're planners. We like to have plans. We like to kind of predict and know what's going to happen and, and anticipate. But the reality is that's just not the way the world works. And so the best thing we can do is continue to uh, to learn, to practice our skills and, and, and figure it out um, with with some intention, you know, figure it out um, as we go forth. One of the things that popped into my head, um, I recently uh, came across the succession challenge that the Financial Planning Association put out uh, for 2018. And they kind of touched on the biggest challenge of uh, for business succession is obviously finding the right successor. The one thing that I'm noticing, especially with what you're talking about, is how that process isn't coming from, oh, you know, step one, two, and three. We're keeping it. The conversation is organic. It's like, oh, I came across this great person. They do great work. I want to work with them. You're absolutely right. The thing that I uh, would encourage anybody who's listening to continue to be present with and to value is that of our community, right? If somebody's listening to this podcast, it's probably because they're well invested in the Financial Planning Association. They understand the value of community and uh, a professional network and um, having colleagues to uh, collaborate with. And I think as time evolves and compliance becomes more challenging, our regulatory environment becomes more challenging, it just, the, the strength of our profession, the strength of our association is important and it matters in ways that are not easily articulated or clearly able to point to, you know, like we get this benefit for the long-term care um, uh, group plan, or we have these resources for business development or business succession. It goes beyond that. It goes to the relationships and the communication um, and the ability to create something with like-minded people. And so it's important and we all need to participate in it at whatever level uh, works for you. And maybe that's just by paying your annual dues and showing up at, you know, meetings or periodically. It doesn't, everybody's got their own level, but, but it's important and it matters. Thanks again so much, Debbie, for obviously coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom with all the listeners out there. And then also just a big thank you for all your volunteerism, you know, with the profession and with next gen planners, with myself. (laughs) I'm just really excited for the relationship and the conversation. It's my pleasure. And, and I, uh, I invite anybody who's interested in getting involved, um, to get involved. It's easy to do. You just have to take your first step. So thank you, Alexandria, for all the work you're doing and um, for for continuing to um, carry the torch and, and do this podcast. It's been real fun. Thank you for having me. How is your work connecting you to your purpose, your community, and your values? I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade. And we believe that independent registered investment advisors have the power to impact the world in profound ways. If you've never considered being an RAA, it's time to take a look. There's no better way to put your skills and knowledge to work for the greater good of your clients, your community, and your own future. Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. Love what you hear on this podcast? 
Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.